Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Come Follow Me Today, a brief message to help us experience an additional spiritual moment in our otherwise complicated lives. My name is Caleb Sanford, and thank you for joining me as we accept Christ's invitation to follow him today. If you're joining us for the first time, we're studying the Old Testament of the Bible this year, loosely following the study curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You're welcome to hit pause and go back to the first episodes of this season if you like, so that you don't miss the edge-of-your-seat stories of the creation and Adam and Eve. And if you like this show, feel free to post it to your social media or share with someone else. All right, today we're going to be working through the story of Noah and his ark in chapters 6 to 10 of Genesis. In this story, we're now many generations past Adam and Eve, and their descendants have stopped believing in God, and society is degenerating. Quote, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. End quote. And then, as a result of society's poor behavior, God causes a massive flood to cover the earth, wiping out all mankind, except for Noah and his family, who God had instructed to build a giant boat to save themselves and enough plants and animals to repopulate the earth after the floodwaters recede. Well, for those of us that see God as a loving Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ as a benevolent Savior who gave his own life because he loved everyone so much— even and especially for those who are sinners, this story of the Lord wiping out mankind with a flood can be difficult to process through. So let's dig into the story a bit more and try to understand what really might be going on here. The first challenging verse for me comes right after, quote, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, end quote. It goes on to say, quote, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart, end quote. More modern translations of the Bible describe this as, quote, And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Even others use use language like, quote, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Well, I don't believe that the Lord regretted making humankind. That goes against the entire plan of salvation. But it is easy to see how we had made him sad, how he had sorrow in his heart because of what we had become. Remember, the whole purpose of creating mankind was to give us the opportunity to have a real body, to experience all that life has for us, to learn the difference between good and evil, just like Adam and Eve did, to discover faith in God and make the choice to live the way that he wants us to, the way that Christ showed us to. And that if we're successful in all this, then we as children of God will be able to return to his presence and enjoy eternal life. Well, now that the Lord is seeing the widespread wickedness of his creation, and perhaps realizing that the system was broken, nobody, with the exception of Noah and his family, was finding faith in God. Nobody was listening to the prophet speak. Nobody was making the choice to do good instead of evil. Nobody was treating each other with kindness, taking care of the sick and afflicted, caring for the poor. Nobody was going to successfully complete the celestial process that the Lord created for us and be able to return to the presence of God and enjoy eternal life. It's easy to understand how this could have been heartbreaking to God, all of his children lost. But this is where things get complicated. Quote, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, 
both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. End quote. Yikes. So the Lord's response to being sorrowful that the plan of salvation wasn't working is to destroy everyone? And what, to start again? Well, this story raises some important questions. Why do bad things happen to us? Does God actively inflict pain or sorrow on people? Does God get angry with us if we don't follow his commandments? Does he actively punish us when we make mistakes? The God that I came to love 15 years ago and still have faith in today is one that loves us no matter what we do that always sees the potential for good inside of us, that always forgives us and gives us another chance to get back on the path and try again to become more like Christ. Let me share a scripture that's found in the Book of Mormon that talks about people like in Noah's day who allowed the natural man in them to take over their lives, which causes them to make bad choices, hurt people, commit sin, ignore God, and focus on themselves instead of taking care of those around them. Quote, For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, end quote. So here we also see language about God inflicting things on people, potentially things that cause us pain and sorrow. Well, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, an apostle and leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, recently said the following in a speech to students at Brigham Young University regarding this scripture. Quote, I think the only commentary needed for this verse might be regarding the lines suggesting God inflicts trials and burdens upon us. In English, the word inflict, which comes from the Latin infligere, has at least two meanings. One is to strike or dash against or beat down. But that is not applicable to God or his angels. No, the proper definition, as King Benjamin uses it, is to allow something that must be born or suffered. Now, allowing something is a very different matter. God can and will do that if it is ultimately for our good. I'm going to say it again. God does not now, nor will he ever, do to you a destructive, malicious, unfair thing ever. It is not in what Peter calls the divine nature to even be able to do so. By definition and in fact, God is perfectly and thoroughly always and forever good. And everything he does is for our good. I promise you that God does not lie awake nights trying to figure out ways to disappoint us or harm us or crush our dreams or our faith, end quote. So with this concept in mind that God doesn't actively try to cause our destruction, but might allow us to experience pain or sorrow if it's for our ultimate good, how do we then make sense of the story of Noah and the flood, where God seems to be planning to destroy all mankind by making it rain for 40 days? 
You could ask the same question about the current COVID-19 pandemic that has likely killed more people than those who died in Noah's flood. Did God cause this virus or is he just allowing it to unfold? Well, for me, the question is whether God actually waved his magic wand and caused the the massive rains to come down. The story of the flood was written down by Moses thousands of years ago, with the actual events happening even earlier when Noah was alive. And I don't think the people at that time had a firm grasp on meteorology, the science of weather. I'm guessing that people in those days assumed that all weather was caused by God. Sunshine, rain, snow, winds, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. So is it possible that God saw that a massive weather event was about to happen that was going to cause torrential rainfall? And rather than try to explain to Noah how climate science works, and that because of atmospheric conditions, changes in temperature, the rotation of the earth around the sun, and so on, that there was going to be a massive rain event that was going to wipe out all life in the area. I wonder if God just accepted who his audience was and stated, quote, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. In other words, God created the earth, so maybe he's just taking credit for the weather patterns that exist because of how the earth was created. So maybe the real question here is, could God have intervened and saved mankind? Could he have waved his magic wand and actually prevented the flood? Well, as I think about this story, I see that the Lord was probably in a tough situation here. He saw that humankind, his creation, his people that he loved, were all living wickedly. The plan of salvation as he had laid it out wasn't working. The people were not listening to his prophets like Noah. They weren't changing their behavior, seeking forgiveness from God. They were just getting worse and worse. What would the future have been like for you and me if the people at this time had continued along their current course? Would Jesus even have been able to find enough followers and others willing to hear his message that Christianity would have been born? But at the same time, if God foresaw this massive weather event building up with rains that were going to come down and cause such flooding that everyone would die, shouldn't he have intervened to save his children? Perhaps the Lord saw this as an opportunity to do a hard reset. Maybe if he started again, using Noah and his family to repopulate the earth, that different tactics could be used this time to better teach people about the gospel, which would lead to more of his future children having faith in Christ and being able to return back to the presence of God. Or maybe, as I mentioned before, God realized that Jesus would not have been able to be successful if he would have come to the world in the midst of all that wickedness. And so God was forced to let the rains come. Perhaps God thought that the people of the time were so far past feeling and hope that there was nothing that could be done to help them in this life, and that he might have better success teaching them in the next life after they died. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, We believe that those who died without the knowledge of the gospel, or who just weren't able to overcome the world and find faith in Christ, that they'll continue to learn about the gospel in the spirit world hereafter, and will have the opportunity there to accept Christ as their Savior. So maybe God saw this as a more effective way to win back his children of that time, and at the same time provide a better opportunity for future generations. 
Well, regardless of the exact details of the story that was written thousands of years ago and has gone through who knows how many revisions and translations, God allowed this weather event to happen, and many people died in the floods. A tragedy for those living at the time, but God has an eternal view of things and is always playing the long game with his children. Perhaps because of this flood and the reset that God was able to make with Noah and his descendants, maybe this is why you and I are able to be here today talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this event and the sacrifice that God had to make of many of his children in that day, maybe this was so that you and I could get a fair chance at having the gospel in our lives. Let's remember what the prophet Isaiah later says in the Old Testament about trying to understand why God does what he does. Quote, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. End quote. The reality is we'll never fully understand the actual history of the story of Noah and the flood. And so the real question as we read this story and other challenging stories that we'll read from the Old Testament over the course of this year, the question is, do we have faith in God and his plan? Do we trust that God knows what he's doing? Do we trust that he has his children's best interest in mind and that he understands the eternal nature of some of these events and decisions much better than you and I can? The fact that you and I are here today trying to accept Christ's invitation to come and follow him today means that the plan of salvation that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ established back in the days of Adam and Eve is still active today and is allowing millions of Heavenly Father's children throughout history and into the future to find faith in God, to gain the strength needed to live our lives according to his teachings, and to endure through the challenges of this life and find happiness today and eventually eternal life forever. The history of God's interactions with humankind, beginning with Adam and Eve, through the flood, his sending of prophets to teach the people, eventually sending his son Jesus Christ to teach us and die for us, and restoring his church in these latter days so that the gospel truth can once again fill the lands. All of these events occurred because we have a loving God who cares about us individually and is striving to help us find peace in this life and happiness into the eternities. Well, whether it's a flood, COVID, or any number of other tragedies that occur in our lives, the real question for you and I to ponder on is whether our faith is sufficient to trust in Heavenly Father's plan, to believe with all our hearts that God would not intentionally cause us harm, but may allow us to experience hardships caused by our environment or the choices that others make, if it will be for our eternal good. Elder Holland finished his speech by saying, quote, So when you are being hammered on the anvil of adversity, when your soul is being refined with severe lessons that perhaps cannot be learned in any other way, don't cut and run. Don't jump ship. Don't shake your fist at your bishop or God. Please stay with the only help and strength that can aid you in that painful time. When you stumble in the race of life, Don't crawl away from the very physician who is unfailingly there to treat your injuries, lift you to your feet, and help you finish the course. We don't know why all the things that happen to us in life happen, why sometimes we are spared a tragedy and sometimes we are not. But that is where faith must truly mean something, or it is not faith at all. 
Faith isn't really faith if you have anything else to hold on to, end quote. Thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you next week as we continue our study of the Old Testament.